Miss Macintosh, my darling, chapter 65, part 3. As the old religion had been familiar to her from her childhood, a little more austere than Mr. Bonebreaker's, but nearly the same, she was not terrified by it. She began to feel a serenity in that wildness, a peace of mind, a calm attitude, although to her as to the crowd, Mr. Bonebreaker expressed a sinister hope that things were getting worse, that hailstones should fall on their heads at the world's sudden end, that the lake should be a frozen crystal forever, that humanity was blighted. She felt, in spite of her better judgment, some pleasure in being chosen by Mr. Bonebreaker at this hour, before an almost universal death. She began to feel as much a part of him in a curiously detached way as his great watch and his swan-necked umbrella, both of which were to become hers, a part of her. For the watch he gave her, as a seal of a love which could not restrain itself, which could restrain itself only until their marriage night, when they should be made as one, and the cumbersome umbrella he left behind him when he fled from her the night before they were to be married. She had been a poor creature, yes, with wide blue eyes. Yet for a few hurried weeks of wind and rain and coldness, for those few or several weeks which, in retrospect, seemed contracted to, to a luminous raindrop, she had been young and expectant. She had made her plans. As Mrs. Titus Bonebreaker, she had planned, she would be able to hold up her head among the women of what cheer, should she return there for a brief visit. She had not planned she had not planned to go back, but as Mrs. Titus Bonebreaker, she could do so. Yet how could she take T B with her, even in her mind's eye, for he was so busy in Chicago? He must remain so far as what cheer was concerned, the husband merely heard of, whose characteristics only the wife could describe with authority. Better, it was as if a missionary reported on the habits and tastes of heathen people. Mr Bonebreaker, the gospel salesman, was her heathen, her cannibal, whom only she had seen and could speak of. It was almost as if he had stepped out of the shadows, though she had done so, almost as if he were being saved by her. What cheer needed never see him, who said that our life was as a fleeting shade and that all his members were as a shadow. Yet for what cheer, where the horizons were limited, seen was believing, and Mr. Bonebreaker would have to be seen in order to be believed. And this was a pity, considering that he did not have to see a thing in order to believe it. He could see the angels winging over Chicago. He could see all things but what was visible, her face when she turned it to him. She accepted his hand, yes, by virtue of saying nothing, but there were many ways in which she would have changed him, just as he had already changed her. She would have liked to have seen him wearing mended shoes and mended clothing, but ragged Mr. Bonebreaker, poking with his umbrella, would not hear of this, and he needed almost nothing of her help. The man seemed to live on air. The man ate no meat, neither cattle, nor fowl, nor fish. For the cattle inhabited the earth, and the fowl inhabited the heavens, and the fish inhabited the sea, the rivers, and the creeks. Even before her meeting him, she herself had eaten almost no fish, considering how well they did with so rudimentary a nervous system. But she had eaten whatever else was set before her, for in what cheer the children were not spoiled. During her acquaintance with Mr. Bonebreaker, she gave up meat too, of course, for she could not deceive him by seeming hungry when she was not. It was a hard thing to do. She longed for the taste of roast beef, but she would not succumb. At night, when she was sleeping, just as if she had succumbed, she was a cow's great. She saw a cow's great reproachful eyes on her dinner plate. So finally, she lost her appetite, and she was not hungry for the taste of meat. Mr. Bonebreaker, unfortunately, was less consistent than she was, for he was filled filled with inconsistencies. He would eat of no meat of any animal in the world, but he would eat an egg, never supposing that it was the unborn he ate with such gusto. He thrived. He thrived. The wall creation might be feeble, and the same. 
sable mourners already gathering in the sky, though it was the autumn of creation the stars were rattling like old leaves in the wind. Mr. Bonebreaker was not feeble, pursuing what seemed in retrospect a checkered career like the world's progress toward darkness. Hardly a day passed that he did not have some brush with the Chicago police, who had not received their law by angels whose wings were full of eyes. Sometimes, though not often, he was kicked in the face by a poor, sultry soul he had tried to redeem, poking with his black umbrella in dark doorways, and his face would be bruised. He would have won the battle, however, for who could oppose salvation at the world's end? He would go into dim saloons where he was not wanted, and would preach to bemused drunkards of what they could expect when they were sober, the heavens opening like a flood, and horses falling from the moon, and locusts as big as horses, and the heavens and the earth fleeing away, finding no place in Chicago's ruin when owls would sit on every rooftop. If some disagreed with him that Chicago was doomed that the lake would freeze forever, he would crack their heads together like pumpkins and would break the furniture. So it was no wonder that everyone, the drunkard, the streetwalker, the pool room character, the thief, the stumbling bock, all feared the gospel salesman, he with the glittering eyeballs and lifted, expectant face. He did not realize the strength, for his bones were out of joint, he was fond of saying, as the Bible says. He could tell all his bones. They looked and stared at him in the dark of night. He slept with his black umbrella next to him, hooked over his arm. He was ready to run forth. Those were the pale days when she, like a small, small bird, hid her head under his wings, for he had lifted her up, he said, in the everlasting arms. He asked for nothing but oblivion. She asked not even for the healing of her wound or for marriage. But why, as the hour of their marriage approached, even though continually set forward as if to delay it until the last hour, did Mr. Bonebreaker imply that when he met her among the evening wolves in the wilderness of Chicago, she was a drunkard, reeling out of the shadows into the light? She might have been an old bat. He swore that he had recognized her condition the minute he saw her, that she was drunk, for he had saved many drunken women as well as men, and he knew the women, inside out, exactly as they were. They were drinking because they wanted to forget something. But doing so, they remembered what they would have forgotten. When he was absent from her, doing good work in the saloon, she might steal back into the saloon by the rear, he knew, just as he was coming out the front door, and that was why she must let her tears flow. If she should be dried, it would be a sign that she was unrepentant, and God would not have her in his heaven, where there were black marble beds. And Mr. Bonebreaker would not remember her or her face, since in heaven nobody remembers anybody. She must be constantly vigilant, he said, for the black backsliding daughter slides back by perpetual backsliding, little by little, and he would not wish to lose her. We are lost before we know it, he said. She must remember God's love and how we are all of us an oak whose leaf fades in the gale, that our days are as grass that withers, that our fathers have eaten sour grapes, that the worm is mother of us all, as she could well believe. What were her sins in her past hidden life? If she pleaded her ignorance of sin, she still had sinned, even through ignorance. Not her conscience gnawed or pressed like a hungry child? Surely Mr. Bonebreaker did not know Miss Mackintosh well, his attention being fastened on the spirits of the deep and those who ride in the high wind. His knowledge of religious history caused him to range in his mind's eye for over far distances. He would frequently declare that the Egyptians were spoiled, that Babylon was sunken into the sea, that he had dwelled for a long time in the land of Ham. The Lord had gone up with the sound of trumpets long ago, but Mr. Bonebreaker was there, watching with his black umbrella doubtless billowing in the wind. But he did not know the woman at his side, for along with his imputation, 
imputation to her of a scarlet past she did by no means possess, for she had been nowhere but to the Iowa State College where she had worked so hard doing the laundry of the male students and waiting tables in an Irish boarding house that she had not learned much. He paid her many compliments, taken from the Bible and uttered in the midst of his darkest prophecies. They came as a total surprise, and before she could protest their extravagance, he was gone on to the world's disaster where men should be a stubble before the wind. She was fruit he had plucked from the Dead Sea, he said, grapes he had plucked from thistles, figs he had plucked from thorns, a flowering rod, a branch of olives. The desert was full of owls and ravens, and he spoke to her, as the Bible says, from the flood, from the horns of the unicorn, from the fire, from the still places, from the bottom of the sea. She was beautiful. She was his desire, a newborn babe, white as milk, born again in God's name, little sister, born in God's name, and it was God who stretched out the earth above the waters and set a seal upon the deep, God who was the creator of herself and all things. She was kind, the soul of kindness. She was his rib, his little rib, taken out of his side. And God gave snow like wool, he would remind her, and God scattered the hoarfrost like ashes. No wonder if Miss Mackintosh's cheeks turned red as a pair of apples in that heady wind, for she had never thought she was beautiful. But what could be more beautiful, asked Mr. Bonebreaker, than a self-effacing woman such as she, caught in God's net? In her presence, his soul was almost in the presence of silence. She was so meek, so mild, and so strong-minded. She was different from the other women. She was different from the women staggering in their towering hats, trimmed with ostrich feathers in their high-buttoned, high-heeled shoes, which could be seen when the wind blew on them, lifting their silken skirts and their underskirts to show their frilled white cambric drawers, women staggering like ostriches along the desert lake front under the burning sky. He had no use for other women. She was different from them because she had given up the things of this world, because she had turned to God who lays the beam of his chamber in the waters and who walks upon the wings of the wind. Glory be to God in the highest, said Mr. Bonebreaker, upon every and any pretext, sometimes in the midst of a great traffic which seemed to storm from all directions. He was always eating peanuts, tossing them into his mouth, which was always open. There were broken peanut shells in his coat pocket, where sometimes she would rest her cold hand. Her hands, said Mr. Bonebreaker in his most radiant mood, when indeed she was most dark, most miserable, her hands were the pureness of lilies, which worked not, neither did they spin. How foolish, she thought silently, for her hands had worked hard at her heart even as he spoke word like an old sewing machine with some of its parts missing. He talked so loud to her that sometimes the crowds would gather around them thinking he had come to preach. Then it was all she could do to keep from running away, for fear she, would, she should suddenly be showered upon by old shoes and rotten eggs. She would try to restrain him, but it was no use. He could not. He simply could not get over his good luck in discovering such a woman, and his face shone with that exact fervor with which he foresaw the world fleeing from the face of God and the stars creaking like rusted wig, wagon wheels and a great confusion in the bright colored sky and showers of caterpillars. She had brought him peace, he said, in the midst of his wildness as running from place to place. Peace, but his excitement knew no bounds. His rotted shoes fell off one day, but he found other shoes almost as rotted, on the feet of a dead man sitting upright in an alley with a cigarette dangling from his pale mouth on a playing card in his lap, the ace of spades. How much better if he had died with a Bible opened on his knees, said Mr. Bonebreaker, whose father had been an umbrella mender in the Ozarks mending all umbrellas but his own, broken ribbed, flapping like an old raven in his cart. His mother had died in childbirth, giving birth to Mr. Bonebreaker. She had gone down into the valley of the shadow to get him, and she had not come back. Also, his father had been a tinker, but the pots and pans in his own house leaked, and the roof leaked, and there was no door. The gospel salesman, with his intoxicated, unseen eyes, he whose bones stared at him at night, Mr. Bonebreaker had found his helpmate and attributed to Miss Mackintosh a beauty not her own. 
A beauty so universal that, though other women shared it in some degree, though it was a peach bloom on other cheeks, the liveliness of hair, though the ugliest woman was a sharer of that universal beauty more boundless in the world, only she could not claim it, and only she was left outside, white-faced and staggering in the darkness, her eyes watering from the mere effort of locomotion. She was neither sinful nor beautiful. The beauty which he said was hers was not hers. She was born with some deficiencies, and she had acquired others, being mortal. Her eyes were set too wide apart. Even before her, before her nose was cruelly broken in Seattle, her nose had had a broken look. And then, of course, there was still to be considered always and always her baldness, her hairlessness, which Mr. Bonebreaker had not suspected. For he had complimented her on her flowing hair. She hoped he would not be shocked when he found out what she was. He said that nothing could shock him, not even creation's end, and she hoped that he spoke the truth. Though he paid her so many false compliments, her head was filled with dew, he said, quoting the Bible at every step, and her forehead shone like the sun, and her hair was as a flock of wild goats. Her cheeks were beds of incense, and her ears were blessed, and her neck was a tower of ivory, and many waters could not quench love, and her eyelids were the eyelids of mourning. Yes, he made many extravagant vain remarks, which did not apply to her, whose ears at last blushed like fury under her shawl. She doubted if he discerned whether, with her shawl draped around her elongated head, if she was fair or dark. Two could live as cheap as one, he said, if two required nothing. He was certainly not thinking of her, was he? He was thinking only of his own enraptured vision, not of her as she was, and she was no one but herself she knew, Georgia Mackintosh, who was born in a snowstorm and the house was covered with snow, when the signposts were blotted out, when the snow had leveled the earth to a great whiteness. The child had been of a bald whiteness like the snow under snowed under earth which hides all features. Both the doctor and the horse, a white horse, were frozen to death on the way to her birth, and John Knox Mackintosh, her father, was snowed in a neighboring house on his way to get the doctor. But Mercy Mackintosh, her mother, had known what to do and how to cut the umbilical cord. As a matter of fact, Mr. Bonebreaker, so forgetful, needed badly a pair of eyeglasses to help him see his way across the crowded streets where there were gray, gray horses endangering the best lives. But he could not wear eyeglasses, even those out of focus, even those plucked off a dead man, since to do so would have been to imply a criticism of that all-seeing God who had opened his eyes in the St. Louis shoe store and had showed him the waters of the first creation, and had illuminated the heavens and the mountains full of horses. Time advanced, and there was nothing done. 